believe that it endures forever. We believe that it's got a relevant word to say uh, to today. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you may know nothing about the Bible, but God's word can come to you tonight. It's like a seed that can drop into your life and produce life. The beauty is that you may have been a Christian 20, 30, 40 years and heard lots of messages. And yet God can speak to you afresh tonight and just ignite something in your heart or cause you to see something with a spirit of revelation that you've never seen before that sends you into this next week fueled with his word and full of faith. So we're going to come to the word for a little time and I trust that God will speak to us and minister to us. If you've got a Bible tonight and however you access that, then I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read a couple of verses together. 1 Peter chapter 1. And he says these words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkle with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. What a welcome. Last Sunday night, if you were with us, Christian shared passionately, articulately, the vision for 2015 in Arena Church. Someone says that vision is an inspired look that leads to inspired action. It's not a daydream, but it's a vision that impels us and propels us forward into what God's got for us. Remember, we said, let's believe for 50, the fruit, 50 new decisions that commit to a discipleship journey this year in Arena Church. Let's believe through the lights for a proliferation of small groups all around this Mansfield area and through the M1 corridor. And let's believe through the toolbox for increased community action to flow from Arena Mansfield. God giving us the right door to walk through to impact increasingly the needy community around us. And it's great that we've got some clarity about those sorts of things. By the way, Christians preaching tonight at the Rock Church south of the river in West Bridgeford, a new church plant of just two or three years old that is intending planting another church in the autumn of this year, led by a great couple, Alistair and Kate Kent. So we pray that God will bless him. And whilst I think about people on mission, of course, we've got John Foster out in the Democratic Republic of Congo as well. And John's been able to send a few photos through courtesy of of, uh, of, the, uh, of the internet. And again, John, we pray for you tonight in Jesus' name that you'll continue to be blessed along with the team in all that you do. So some clarity about what we're doing. And of course, Christian reminded us that if we're here, then the journey of being a Christian is to get to there. As Andy reminded us in prayer, here for you could be all sorts of things. Here for you could be dark. It could be failure. It could be, uh, my life's a mess. It could be, I'm fed up. I have no direction. It could simply be that you're in a great place, but you recognize that you increasingly want to get to there. Former American statesman Dr. Henry Kissinger said this, it is the, it is the, the task of every leader to get people from where they are to where they have never been. That's the journey of faith. And that is what Christian rolled out for us last week. We don't want to be static. We don't want to stay where we are. We want to continually move to where God's called us to be. 
Remember the word from the, from the week before about breaking camp and advancing. It's the call deep within our hearts. And the tendency for every church is to settle somewhere between here and never getting to there. But by God's grace and through an intentional response to what he's calling us to be, then we want to go to where the Lord is calling us. Here's the question. How do we best do that? And what is the best approach? Well, there's an opinion around today, friends, that says that if Christians become more like the world, integrate more with people that aren't Christians, and where there's little demarcation, where we allow the world to define what we believe and how we should go about our faith, that's the best way to go about it. I want to suggest to you tonight that actually the call of the New Testament is completely different. Hence, our, our banner headline for the year, that God is calling us to stand out and to shine. And over the next few minutes, I want to give you just a little flavor of how we can do that. Because the title of tonight's message is Strangers. You think, oh, it's one of them churches. They're asking us to be strange. You've just done it now. You've jabbed her in the ribs. But you need to listen to me. The potential for you to not hear what I'm saying tonight is huge. But if you'll get it, you'll understand what the Bible's saying. Going back to 1 Peter 1, he says to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout those provinces. If you've got an older New International Version, it will say to God's elect, strangers scattered through Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia. And 1 and 2 Peter, those books near the end of the Old Testament, were written to Christians that were being literally scattered through persecution and opposition, through people 2,000 years ago in the first century of Christendom believing the same good news message as us. Of course, opposition and persecution, as we've seen even the last few months, is, 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 is also prevalent in the world Today, I mentioned two weeks ago, there are 50 nations in the world where it's dangerous to be a believer. And uh, the, so, so those things live on. So these people were being scattered. It's what we call the diaspora, the scattered of gods. And they were going to all sorts of provinces. God's always able to take that which was meant for evil and use it for good. And even though terrible things at times were happening, the message was spreading and spreading and spreading. But God reminds the people at that time that they were strangers in the world. Words that he could put there would be foreigners, travelers, pilgrims, aliens, exiles. In the autumn at our arena staff meeting, Christian will sometimes draw one of the other guys in to speak. Sometimes we might have something on DVD and sometimes he'll share something. And in the autumn, he, he shared a thought on strangers, which got us thinking and sort of, I think, led us to this journey of where we are as we go into the new year of 2015. A couple of weeks later, says, Christian, I don't know whether I've ever spoke this, but I've sort of got this piece of paper on the subject of strangers. It had sort of captured me some time ago also. And tonight, I want you to listen carefully for a moment and try and take hold of what God is saying. Let me just say for a moment that I am not N-O-T when I'm talking about the call to be a stranger, talking about being odd, 
strange, eerie, mystical, or enigmatic. I'm not talking about any of those things. Arena Mansfield does not want to be known for being weird. He does not want to be known for being odd. He does not want to be known for, you've got to be a bit out there to go to that church. We're normal. Well, I think we are. We're, we're, we're reasonable, coherent people. But we've got a passionate faith that has changed us forever. And if you're not a believer tonight, I'm just praying over these next few minutes that you'll be so enraptured by the call to be a stranger. You say, actually, that's what I want to be. Because it really is the way to live. You see, there's a contradiction here. There's a paradox. The best way to stand out and shine is to actually recognize that we don't belong. We're otherworldly. Jesus said to the disciples in John 18, you're not of this world. Let me try and explain it a little bit more. C.S. Lewis was an atheist who got wonderfully converted and came to Jesus Christ. You know that he was an Oxford professor. And he ended up writing some great children's parabolic stories like the Chronicles of Narnia where he, he, he was really depicting the triumph of Jesus. And maybe particularly at Christmas time, you've enjoyed sitting down with the kids or the grandkids and either reading those books or watching it on film again. But, um, but here's C.S. Lewis. He says these words. The Christians who did most for this world were those who thought most about the next. The apostles who set on foot, foot the conversion of the Roman Empire. The great men who built the Middle Ages, the evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of any other world that they have become so effectual in this one. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. God has called us tonight to set our affections on something that is beyond this world. Sadly, of course, over the years, churches have gone to imbalance regarding this teaching. They've become so separate that they've become isolationist. They've almost made their church a ghetto, and nobody can get into it. Yes, they become unworldly, but they also become dysfunctional in terms of connecting with the needs around them. And there is a truth that we need to capture. You may not be able to see the words very well on the screen, but they are from Matthew 5 and verses 14 to 16, where Jesus is teaching and reminding people that we are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hid. Light speaks of illumination. And uh, we only take light for granted when we're in the pitch black. And maybe you can th think of experiences where it's been so black, it's been scary. I was saying as we were thinking about multi-lights across the M1 corridor that you'll probably notice nowadays if you drive down the motorway regularly at night time that there's lights switched off that ought to be on. Can somebody give them a five bob piece sometime so they can put the money in the meter? I like it when the lights are on. It's always that little bit more strained on your eyes. You've always got to give that little bit of extra percentage of con concentration when you're driving in the dark. 
I just thought about that, that light wants to sort of spread out all over the place to invade the dark. Illumination. One of the songs that we're singing in church at the moment says, shine your light forever and ever. It also talks about imposition, a city on a hill that cannot be hit. And he talks about influence. Because listen, he says that when we shine for the Lord, they, clearly speaking of the unbeliever, will see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. At our community project in Ilskissen, Lisa has got people that haven't yet become believers, but they have come to a place of wanting to glorify God through their commitment to the community because of the light that they have seen shining. It was the great evangelist D.L. Moody that says that the Lord's not caused the church. He said these words. He says, lighthouses have no horns. They only shine. And maybe the church sometimes has been known for sounding off, sometimes on all the wrong things. They're getting pumped about things that don't really matter, but God has called us to shine. So I hope you've got it. This is not a retreating into our shell, fearful that that big bad world out there is going to get us. Because the Bible says that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. God wants you to have a confidence about the school tomorrow, the college, the office, the lab, the work environment. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. For you to have an influence and an impact through your shining light. So three things about strangers. Number one, strangers are not comfortable with sin. There's a verse in the Bible in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 9 that says, No one born of God continually or habitually sins. And then there's a verse in Peter which says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and strangers... To abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Now that verse in John, in the old authorized version, says, He that's born of God does not sin. I used to read that and think, wow, that's a verse. But I think the modern translations have got it more accurately. We don't habitually sin. We don't continue in sin. In other words, friends, when we come to Jesus, there's a change in our lives. Sin simply means to miss the mark. Sin puts a barrier between us and God, which Jesus has bridged in the power of his cross to forgive us. The Bible says we've all sinned. And the Bible says that none of us can say we're without it, otherwise we deceive ourselves. But God wants us to live increasingly in victory over sin. Temptation comes. I've heard people say, well, temptation sin. No, it's not. It's not. And temptation, you need to expect it. You need to detect it. And then here's the challenge. You need to reject it. And it goes away. Submit to God. Resist the enemy. And he will flee from you. You may say, Phil, there's things in my life tonight that, you know, I'm not pleased with. I know they're wrong. I I know they've, they've offended a holy God. And it may be that you need to deal with your past first. And know that it's completely cleansed and washed away and forgiven. That God gives you a new start. It's what we call as Christians becoming born again. 
And then you need to realize that sometimes even when we still trip up and get it wrong, God's always there to forgive us. And even as we walk into our future, we don't have to walk into it fearfully. But to know that our future is also taken care of through the sacrifice of Jesus. But here's the challenge tonight. How comfortable are we at times with getting it wrong? It was Rick Warren that says that sin always starts out as fun. It does. Sometimes, friends, people get involved in relationships that have three and four generational consequences to them because initially, way back there, it was fun. And it ends up a mess. People start having a bit of a flutter on the GGs because it starts out as fun. But then all of a sudden, there's a £30,000 debt. People sort of thought, yeah, that were nice. I got absolutely hammered last week. It was fun. And then they realized they can't live without it. You see, because the enemy's always wanting to ensnare us and to take away from us our purpose and destiny in God. Here's the passion tonight. If you had a foreign body in your eye tonight, I don't know whether anybody's had to go to the eye hospital and have something removed. But I remember some years ago, I had a foreign body in my eye. And I went to the hospital and she just dabbed some ointment into my eye and just sort of brushed it away. Oh, see, it was an irritant. I couldn't stand it. It was affecting my sight. And you know, that's the same attitude that we need to have to wrong in our life. We need to allow it and ask God to make it an irritant because then we'll want to do something about it. And the oil and ointment of the Spirit is always here to pour into our lives and to take away those things that don't please the Lord. Let's live free this year. Let's live victorious this year. Let's live uncluttered this year. Let's keep short accounts with God. Let's ensure that we're in his presence. If it goes wrong, put it right. If you need to say sorry, do it quickly. And let's live not comfortable with sin. Secondly, strangers are not compatible to the values of this world. At the beginning of Romans chapter 12, there's a book in the Bible, Romans 16 chapters. The pivotal verse is Romans 12, 1, because the previous 11 chapters have told us about our failings in God and God's love for us. And then how do we practically outwork it? It says, therefore, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And J.B. Phillips was a great Christian writer and author of the 20th century, And he wrote a paraphrase of the Bible. And in that particular chapter, chapter 12 and verse 1 of Romans, he said these words, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, we have some other verses with regard to this, and I'd like to read them to you. He says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, here is the description threefold, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but comes from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And in our Autumn Arena Bible Training School, we did a series on one John. I don't have time to go there tonight, but I want just to home in for a moment or two, just a bullet, one or two things about this whole challenge of not being compatible to the values of this world. A great challenge for us in a Western society, in a materialistic society. 
that we don't allow the world to squeeze us into its, its mold. You say, Phil, what's wrong with the world? It's a beautiful place, beautiful creation. I'm not talking about creation. In fact, the Bible tells us that God has revealed himself through creation, so he leaves us without any excuse. And even within a few minutes' drive of this church building tonight, you can be in the glorious countryside, enjoying some fantastic views. And uh, there are people around the room tonight that have been to incredible places in the earth, high up on mountains, deep in valley gorges, enjoying some of the great creation of God. The first time we were able to go to see Sharon's family in Australia in 2004, we just had an amazing experience with, and people would rush as as it happened to watch the Indian Ocean out there just a few hundred meters from us and literally watch that great big sun just go down over the horizon and literally disappear in a few moments. Just a gorgeous expression of creation. Well, we're not talking about that. We're talking, friends, about the spirit of the age. Let me try and define it to you. It says there in, in, the, in, the, in the scripture that it's the spirit and system of the age that lies in wickedness in opposition to God. It's the organized world that is built on wrong principles and characters and based desire. And as I've already said, we've got a threefold description of it. Number one, the lust of the flesh, feel, passion. The cravings of sinful man. This is not just talking about inappropriate behavior morally or sexually, but it's about speaking about selfishness, possessiveness, wild extravagance. What's the answer? The answer is integrity. Living with absolute wholeness in your life and saying, God, you can have all of my life and all of the compartments of my life. There's nothing for me and then something for you. It's all for you. And then what about the lust of the flesh? Have possessions, materialism. A huge challenge to Christians in our particular setting. And as Christians said on a number of occasions, there's nothing wrong with having things. The question is, have things got you? And we are continually pummeled, confronted, assaulted with people telling us that we need things. You didn't have to go to Tesco to fight over that 52-inch telly to prove that you could have a good Christmas. It's okay. All right. But Black Friday. And one of the leading market retail executives said this week in the press, oh, it's here to stay. Well, the Lord help us. Because somebody's told us that we've got to be running in and getting things for Christmas. There's a furniture place not too far from here. It will remain nameless. But we get assaulted on telly every year by saying, you need a new three-piece suite for Christmas. You see? Amen. (laughs) And then now you need a holiday. And so it goes on. There's nothing wrong with these things. But friends, if we, if those things have got us, they will never satisfy the deep cravings of your inner heart. Things will not do it. The Bible says that man's life does not consist of the abundance of things that he possesses. And Jesus told a story to illustrate it. And you have to really ask God to help you. Maybe you've chased things. Maybe you've had everything. And you know deep down there is some, something still missing. It's that need for the Lord in your life. And we're so blessed. And I say these things, friends, not to make us guilty, but to live gratefully. 
If you earn £21,900 a year, you're in the top 4% of earners in the world. 885 million people today, friends, have had no access to clean living water. We don't live like most people in the world. Because millions and billions of people got nothing. Did you know that the 85 richest people in the world have the equivalent wealth to the poorest 3.5 billion? And God says, don't go there. Be a stranger. Don't be taken up with the lust of the eyes. Always wanting the next thing. What's the answer? Generosity. Recognizing that none of it's yours, it's all his. And he gives us the right to steward some of it back to him. Isn't that a great deal? It's all his. If you're forever saying it's all yours, every time anything's mentioned about giving, but when it's all his, he says, will you just give me some of that back? That's a great deal. And then thirdly, the pride of life. Position. Self-exaltation. Stamping on folks. Aggrandizement. Egotism. Get your own way. Whatever it costs. What's the answer? Humility. Here's a quote from John Dixon, a great writer on this subject that's really lived with me for the last few months. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status, deploy your resource, and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. God help us to live like that, friends, in these days in which we live. One of the great writers, Christian writers of the 20th century says, if we're somehow caught up with this world, it's clear that we're not ready for the next. And the third thing about strangers is not only are they not comfortable with sin, two, they are not compatible to the values of this world, and three, they are not confined by time. You see, we all think we're going to be here forever, and we're not. And actually, our little sort of time on earth is, is pretty small compared to eternity. But when you live in the light of eternity, it makes sense of your time on earth. Let me read this to you from Hebrews, a book in the Bible from the message. It says this of people that were followers of God. It says, each one of these people of faith died not having yet seen in hand what was promised. To quote Mark Batterson, who taught us on prayer, they thought long. I'm convinced, friends, that there's going to be generations, even here tonight, that won't necessarily see all that they desire to see. But be encouraged. There's a generation coming alongside on the back of your life that will, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. They, had not, they, they, they were people of faith. I mean, not yet seeing what was promised, but still believing. How did they do it? They saw it away off in the distance. They waved their greeting and accepted the fact that they were strangers in the world. People who live this way make it plain that they are looking for their true home. If we were homesick for the old country, sin, Egypt, they would have gone back any time they wanted. But they were after a far better country than that, heaven country. You can see why God is so proud of them. And there's a city waiting for them. At the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Read the previous verses to verse 16. He'd been knocked down. He'd been persecuted. He'd been stoned. He'd been opposed. He'd been treated really badly. Not lose heart. Why? 
Well, he tells us. He says, because our momentary troubles on this earth, the things that come to us that don't make us feel good, the things that are called life, all those things, our momentary troubles on this earth are achieving an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, which is temporal, but what is unseen, which is eternal. Where's your eyes to tonight? Because God's preparing for his heaven country. And one day, we will inherit all that he's called us to enjoy in him. As I close tonight, I want to just give a couple of quotes. One a quote and then a little story. But at Christmas time, somebody bought me a book. And I have to say that when I first opened it, I thought, oh, it's okay. I don't want to sound ungrateful in that, but it was just my first response. So, okay. But it proved to be a really good read by a guy called Drew Dyke, who's a Christian journalist and leader from North America. And he wrote the book called Yawning at Tigers. It's a bit of an obscure trying to draw you in title, but he's, he was talking about how God is holy and he calls us to be similar, but how we make a difference in the earth. And Drew said these words, we keep, asking, we keep seeking out and loving people because they've, we've sought out and loved by God. We go anywhere people are because we have a God who is willing to go anywhere for us. We are other, yet intimate. Different from the world, yet immersed into it. Holy and loving, just like our Father. And Drew went on to tell a story that he concludes the book with about a leadership conference that takes place every year in August in Willow Creek Church in Chicagoland, North America, one of the foremost leadership conferences in the world, led by Pastor Bill Hybels. And you will get many so-called high flyers at that conference, both from the church world and also the world of commerce. Harvard graduates, brilliant people, uh, uh, movers and shakers, nation influencers. And then about three years ago, they invited a little lady who had some resemblance to the now deceased Mother Teresa, a name was Mama Maggie. She's a Coptic Christian from Cairo in Egypt. And she came in full uh, long dress and was so different from everybody else. But she carried something of the presence of God. Such that when she arrived on the screen, uh, arrived on the stage rather, she was greeted with an ovation from the crowd. And she began to talk a little bit about her story. And how that for many, many years she had given her life away to serve the poor, the homeless, and the non-educated of what is known as Garbage City in Cairo. Three and a half years ago, I had the privilege of being part of an Assemblies of God delegation to visit probably the foremost evangelical church of the Arab world that sits in Cairo, just around the corner from Tahir Square. And by God's grace, this spring, I'm seeking uh, to make a return visit to that. We drove through Garbage City one day up to the big Coptic church high up on the hills of the city. It was one of those days when you wish that you didn't have the gift of smell because it was awful. And literally, friends, what people do there is they gather together, literally, some of the rubbish of the city and somehow put it together in bungles and eke out a meager living. Mama Maggie has ministered through the charity Stephen's children to thousands of kids over many years. Today, 
A very self-effacing, an ordinary lady has 700 staff and 1,500 volunteers that minister hope into what seemingly from the outside is an utterly hopeless situation. She said to this great conference that when I touch a poor child, I touch Jesus. And if you read Jesus telling the story at the end of Matthew 25 about as much as you did it unto me, uh, unto a little child, you did it unto me, you realize that, friends, when we reach out in community, when we reach out to the poor, when we reach out to people that are marginalized, when we reach out to kids that seemingly have no hope, we don't go as Jesus, we go to Jesus. And so this lady had sold her life in and shared her amazing, amazing story. After she'd finished speaking on the stage, Drew Dyke, as a journalist, had the opportunity to interview her and put a, 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 the interview into a magazine, of which he is one of the contributing writers. And for days afterwards, he was really taken up with this meeting that had taken place. And here's a little bit of how he reflected on his meeting with a wonderful, amazing, godly stranger to this world, Mama Maggie. He says, it wasn't solely what she said or even what she did. Commendable though it was, it was the combination of the two. She was a stranger in the best sense of the world. Her mind on things above, and yet she had an acute sense of spiritual reality. At the same time, she was immersed in the greatest needs of humanity. She hadn't holed up in some commune to meditate on spiritual truths. She spent her days and nights with the unloved and the forgotten. She was at once otherworldly and yet down to earth. Some people would have said of her, she's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. Well, not Mama Maggie. She was definitely heavenly minded, but it only served to make her of more earthly good. Her spirit was in the heavens, but her hands were on the ground. Brothers and sisters, friends of Arena Church, as we share over the next few weeks, on the back of last week's visionary presentation, we're just looking simply at that thought of stand out and shine. And Christian and me talking and praying about the ministry just before Christmas says, let's deliberately use the title, Strangers. He'll speak to it from his perspective next week. And then we'll draw a few principles out of living by standing and shining. We've deliberately used the word we could have perhaps come up with another one that would have made us a little less uncomfortable. But it's a Bible word. It's a Bible principle. And it's the Bible way of living. One of the great 20th century prophets was A.W. Tozer. He said these words, A scared world needs a fearless church. I want to say that if ever there's a day when the world is scared, it's right now. And it needs a church to emerge that will be fearless in its faith. And maybe God can continue to help us as Arena Church to be part of that great church in the earth that brings change, that shines and sees God do amazing things. Not comfortable with sin. Not compatible with the values of this world. Not confined by time. Spirit in the heavens. Hands on the ground. Such people live as strangers, and such people inevitably stand out and shine. Let's pray.